Welcome to Forward with Faith podcast. I've decided to title this podcast, He Still Redeems, because my guest, Hannah Grubbs, actually celebrated a year of sobriety this summer, which is super impressive, but she would tell you that she could not have done it without the Lord. He pulled her out of the pit she was in and all of the struggles and hurts that she was trying to deal with, trying to fill a void. He now fills that void, and he has shown her that the only satisfaction is in him. She's super great. She's now working with people in rehab that are struggling with the same thing that she struggled with. So he has completely turned her life around. Her story is insanely cool. But even if you're not directly impacted with addiction or struggling with addiction yourself, you will definitely get something out of this. She talks a lot about self-worth, about really just directing your life back to the Lord because nothing in this life will satisfy but Him. Hi, Hannah. Welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. So Hannah and I actually have grown up across the street from each other. There's a little bit of an age gap between us, so we didn't really always hang out, but it's super cool to do a podcast about how the Lord has set her free and she was actually in my life for so many years. I could talk all day, but I'm super excited to hear Hannah's take on how God has completely redeemed her life and turned everything around like he always does because he is the redeemer. So Without further ado, I'll let her start and share her testimony and everything that he's done. So I'm Hannah. I grew up in Lincoln County. I, for the majority of my life, can remember being angry. I struggled with a long list of mental illness um, from about 14. I was on some kind of uh, medication for depression, anxiety, um, personality disorder, PTSD. I remember from a young age, when you, when you asked me my childhood memory, it goes back to being in my house with my mom and my dad and just remember them fighting. Um, remember the yelling and that even from a young age, knowing that he, he cheated on her that Mm -hmm. he was unfaithful to her and um, even after they divorced me and my brother we would spend the occasional weekend with him Mm -hmm. how old were you when they divorced I was six I believe my brother would have been four okay give or take so So, pretty young yes yes Um, but that that memory is very vivid in my mind Um, it's kind of crazy to me what what your memory holds and Mm -hmm. how that it was so uh, apparent in my mind that it like it just happened yesterday. Yeah, for sure. Going back to the long list of mental illness, I saw multiple therapists throughout my life, but one in particular, she asked me what I remembered when I was younger about my relationship with my dad and I could remember those weekends that we spent together and the the thought even then of him being physically there but not mentally so much and then she asked me if I could see that aspect as far as my relationships with 
people since then. I also struggle very much with self-worth. I Probably because he was always there. Yeah. But not really actually there. Yeah. I was in a relationship with someone from the time I was about 22 till roughly 25, 26. Um, This particular person was an alcoholic. He was a narcissist. He was a sociopath. Mm -hmm. He was an abuser. I believed the whole time that this was the love that I deserved Mm -hmm. through the gaslighting of the narcissism that he was beautiful and that I deserved this abuse that he always told me that I was his trophy, but I chose to go back to that. And even, even today, my mom would tell me that one of the two of us was going to die before it would be over because it was just oil and water. Like the highs were so high, but the lows were, were past rock bottom. Mm -hmm. He ended up cheating on me. I knew that she was at the house that he was living at so much that I drove to Lexington livid. It's probably close to an hour drive. Fought both of them. The last thing that he ever told me was that he never loved me. And a month later, he died. Um, His liver failed. He had sclerosis of the liver. But even though it was... How old was he when he died? He would have been 31 that year if he made it to his birthday. Okay, and how old were you at that time? He'll be gone four years in November. So, if I just turned 30, I would have been 26. Wow. 26. I can't imagine. Holy cow. But, like I said, I thought this was the love of my life. Mm-hmm. He was beautiful on the outside, but completely dead on the inside. Mm-hmm. Um, and a lot of people are like that. And I think especially when you're in your 20s, because I mean, I've been there too. I feel like a lot of people have been there that they look beautiful on the outside. And it's like, oh, everything has to be great because they're beautiful mm-hmm. on the outside. And it's like, we talked to Hannah and I actually met earlier in the week and she shared everything in detail with me. And we had talked about that, that it's it's crazy to look down 80 years and be like, beauty is fleeting and it's not going to always, someone's not always going to be beautiful the rest of their life. So we can't base who we love and who we spend our time with and invest in based off that because it's it's not what matters. It was more concerning, I think, at the time that we looked good from the outside mm. yes, versus when you take those filters off or those likes off social media, Mm -hmm. what it looks like behind closed doors. And it was just, it was pure misery. I one time came home. I was, I was working three jobs and would come home him without a job or a license. And he would take my debit card and take my car, go get him cigarettes, any kind of bourbon, vodka, whatever. And then I would come home and he'd make fun of me for for working, for trying to provide for this life that mm-hmm. um, I so badly wanted to look genuine. 
he was so close to my face yelling at me one time with his finger pointed at me that he poked me in the eye and then told me, called me another word if I was to go to the emergency room. Um, I ended up going the next day and instead of them, they actually have to put a uh, liquid in your eye to see mm-hmm. the, the indention that it made. And it, they could tell without putting that liquid that it turned into an ulcer in my eye. Oh my gosh. And my mom has a friend that has passed away from that very thing. And even more so than that, when I got home, cause it's excruciating pain, like your eye will heal very quickly, but if you've ever had an eyelash in your eye, it, that is awful, Mm -hmm. um, let alone having an ulcer in your eye. So I was not in addiction at this point, but the doctor prescribed me a pain medication, which he went to pick up and then sold. You're kidding me. But this was the love that I chose. This was the love that I went back to over and over and over again. Yeah. Lied to my family, lied to myself that it was going to be okay. Because he would tell me, I won't do that again. Mm-hmm. I love you now. Or <laughs> Yeah, actions speak louder than words, especially in relationships. Absolutely. That's so um, I'm just at, just as much at fault for allowing that, for believing that that's what I deserved. Mm-hmm. Uh, after he died... I I didn't get to be able to be a part of his funeral. I never got any conclusion from that. Mm-hmm. I you all broke up a month before, right? And it was kind of it was when he cheated on you, yeah. like such that terrible breakup. Okay, mm-hmm. gotcha. So a couple months later, I reconnected with someone who I expressed my grief to and that I'd known was a drug dealer that used uh but he in my expression of grief was like well I can just make that all go away mm-hmm. I I never I never allowed my chance my myself to grieve the quote love of my life mm-hmm. um so I just I imagine myself like sitting in a car, looking in the rearview mirror and, and going in reverse. Mm-hmm. I I was going to find the same personality in a different body type mm-hmm. until June of 2018, 19, 2019, um, the particular person that introduced me to drug use, hardcore drug use, he was selling drugs, but he was also working um, and driving my vehicle because I was always in relationships. The one that had the car, mm-hmm. had the house, had yeah whatever and you needed. You and provided for them. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. But that to me was like better than me just being alone completely, mm-hmm. which... In, in, all actual, in all actuality, was not the case. So, in on a Monday in June 2019, he's driving my vehicle home from work. He gets hit by someone driving um, 
ends up going southbound, flipping into the northbound lane. So I understand that that was traumatic for him, but uh, I called my grandpa to take me to the hospital, to the emergency room to meet him. And when we get there, he hands me a big sack of drugs then and they clear him they never drug to drug tested him because it wasn't his fault in the wreck so they had no suspicious yeah ness of him mm-hmm. no so <laughs> um that next monday he had overdosed three or four times um he was driving my grandmother's vehicle and somehow ended up he was in Nicholasville and ended up in my grandmother's vehicle in the summit in Lexington. I don't know. I still, the story's not clear to me to this day how exactly the events unfolded, but mm-hmm. somehow the ambulance picked him up, Narcaned him several times, and then took him back to the emergency room mm-hmm. at the University of Kentucky. And he calls me several times during this period and is like, I need you to get to the emergency room and I, I'm i out of a car. So he's like, don't call your family, but get up here as fast as you can. I get my 87-year-old neighbor to drive me to Lexington. Bless his heart. Um, Bless his heart, man. <laughs> to drive me... I go to the emergency room with my neighbor to get the keys for my grandmother's vehicle to go and hunt for the vehicle in the summit. Um, For anyone who doesn't know, the summit is in Lexington. It's like, like a big shopping center with a bunch of restaurants and things like that. I mean, it's huge. I can't imagine finding, (laughs) trying to find one car in the whole shopping center. Yes. With a 87 year old, Christian man that just wants the best for everybody and bless his heart. Um, (laughs) So I find the vehicle. uh, I send him. I try to tell him uh, the direction to go home. Mm -hmm. Um, I know that he makes it home. Praise God. But for me to go back to the emergency room and sit for so many hours that day and listen to the person that I was in a relationship with say, telling the nurses it was July 34th and that I'd taken all this money from him and just absurd nonsense. And even then being like, why, why am I allowing this? Why, how is this? How did I get here? Yeah. He's allowed to be cleared from the emergency room. And... Life goes back to normal. So you all just went home like nothing happened? Mm -hmm. He was never bothered, anything like that? No. No. (laughs) No. Never apologetic. Like, Uh, I'm sorry that you had to come up and find a way to Lexington with your 87-year-old neighbor that doesn't need to be driving, that can't see 10 feet in front of him half the time, bless his heart. Um, So... By that next Monday, uh, we're taking my grandmother's vehicle back. I'm in my grandmother's vehicle. He's in the rental vehicle. My grandmother lives less than five minutes away. So he's following me in the the rental vehicle. Lo and behold, he has used 
during that five minute period, which I'm not aware of at this time. Yes. We drop my grandmother's vehicle off at her house and are going back to where we live at my house mm-hmm. and get on Main Street in Stanford and blue lights flash behind us. Mm-hmm. He's driving because, like I said, I didn't know. And he had used. And he so. had used. And I didn't know that at the time. Yeah. They pull us over and he gives me a syringe and drugs and puts them in my purse. And you didn't know about that, right? I had right? no idea. Wow. I had no idea. Any any time the, the concept of him injecting or using a, a needle, there was always an excuse or something ridiculous that he would say to just not even admit to that fact, mm-hmm. which was happening all along. Yeah. So they they do a, a DUI test on him. Clearly, he he fails it. Also pulled me out of the car. They gave me a DUI test that I failed. I had not been um, using the particular substance that day that I was told was an opiate. Mm-hmm. Um, we were going to a methadone clinic every single day, and that was probably the reason that I failed that particular DUI. But mm-hmm. when they pulled me out of the car and found resin in the vehicle, they asked me what it was, and I assured them that it was I'd been told it was some kind of opiate. They tested it, and that was the first time that it, I knew what I was taking was fentanyl. Like, fentanyl is hardcore stuff. The the fentanyl and the methadone were a very deadly combination. And it was crazy to me because I was going to this methadone clinic. I was being drug tested and it would come back that I popped for heroin or popped for fentanyl. But I was so naive to this person that I believed that I loved and had my best interest at heart that when he said, oh, it came back, mine came back something completely crazy too, mm-hmm. that that was just, the, the drug test was mm-hmm. swayed and, and not my mind or mm-hmm. um, who I was with. Yeah, so. so this whole time, what he was giving you was not what he said he right. was giving you, right. which is insane to think about. You didn't even have any idea what you were putting in your body, you know? Right. So, he went to jail. I called my my grandparents that came and and took me home because... I actually didn't ask you this earlier, but when we met earlier this week, you had expressed to me that your grandparents were kind of your only allies at this point, right? Well, to to my my thought process, Mm -hmm. um, I had people that loved me and wanted different for me but in my mm-hmm. eyes the only person that that really loved me was my grandfather and yeah. he was the one that wanted to save me and so I called him he knows the cops and got to take me home versus they said if I got back in the vehicle that they would have charged me for a DUI no matter if I was 20 feet from my house or not okay literally this particular person that I'm on this horrible journey with to this Mm -hmm. point is in jail he 
calls me several times and I don't answer, knowing what he's going to say. I eventually do after several days and he convinces me to take the money that I'm getting for the car that he wrecked and bail him out of jail. I did just that, all the while lying to my grandparents that I wasn't going to go get him, and then I wasn't, I surely wasn't going to pay for him to get out, which I did both those things. Mm-hmm. Um, so life goes back to crazy normal again. I am expecting a settlement at this point in my life. Uh, I had worked a job that I'd been hurt at mm-hmm. several years ago. Knew that I was going to get a substantial amount of money from that. Mm-hmm. And found a way to get a loan from that settlement that was coming. So a couple weeks go by and we are going to Lexington to get the loan from that settlement. Mm-hmm. Pick up a $5,000 loan. Do the drugs. And I pass out thinking that we're going back to Lincoln County. We did not to go back to Lincoln County. I wake up and we are somewhere in Indiana. Oh my gosh. Taking a detour to Cincinnati, Ohio to re-up with the $5,000 that I just got. But he's, um, he's being pulled over for a DUI, his second DUI in two weeks. Mm -hmm. Um, he stopped at a green light and was charged with another DUI. While you were with him, right? While I was with him. The cop, he let me go. Um, he didn't question me. I don't know if it was the fact that I didn't have any recollection of where I was or what was going on. Mm-hmm. So that particular person goes to jail. I'm on my way home, and it's crazy now looking back that, by the grace of God, I had, up until that point, been very isolating. That That's a, a huge factor in addiction, that, that we isolate from those that we love because mm-hmm. they tell us that we what we don't want to hear yeah. or yeah, other matters. Good. But I reach out to my, my sister, it's my stepsister, but our parents have been together for almost 25 years now. and say, you can't believe where I've just ended up, and Mm -hmm. um, express to her kind of in a nutshell what happened, that I'm headed back in a rental vehicle Mm -hmm. from Indiana. And she, from what I understand, reaches out to my mom. Uh, Within a couple of days, my mom is Casey Lawing me. Mm -hmm. Casey Law is a law where you present... It, it can be, it does not have to be a relative. It can be an acquaintance. It can be a friend um, that you present to the court evidence that this person is in harm of themselves. Mm-hmm. You get to choose how long you want to go to treatment. Yeah. You have to be seen by a physician and a psychiatrist. So a couple days after coming home from Indiana, I have a deputy knocking at my door presenting me with Casey Law that I had no idea what was about mm-hmm. at that particular time. And at this point, you and your mom are not... No. No. Absolutely not terms. hated my mom at this point in my okay. life. 
Was um, it because of everything that had happened with the divorce or do you think it was just the situation you were in or? Um, like I said before, I was so angry mm -hmm. for most of my life. It ended up being pointed outwardly yeah. instead okay. of inwardly. And mom would tell me before she was like, I'm not your whipping post just because I'm not ever going to go anywhere. doesn't mean that you can just beat me mm. senselessly. There'd be some times that I'd say, I just wish you would hug me. And she was like, how do you hug a porcupine? Like yeah. you're just, you won't allow yourself to feel anything and, or me to even get close to you as much as I want to love you and be there for you. That's good. Wow. And also my mom saw me grieve over the individual that I was with that died of alcoholism. Mm -hmm. um, but also for a long time, her way of dealing with life or grief was to drink. Mm -hmm. I, I recognize that now as she was watching her firstborn child I mean, she had my funeral planned. Yeah. She, uh, she and was. It's hard to watch. Absolutely. For sure. Yeah. She was, she could see that I was just merely existing, that mm -hmm. um, I, I'd become hopeless and miserable and at most angry mm -hmm. at everyone around me. Yeah. And, and me, and me. So I get notified that I'm being Casey Log, which I have no idea what that's about. I'm sure you were like, what the yeah. heck, mother? Yeah. <laughs> yes, yes. Because it says right there, Tracy, Tracy Faulkner Gooch, sign, you're going to go to treatment. She wanted me to go to treatment for a year. You have to have reasoning mm -hmm. for why. And that, I think one of the things that she had said was that I'd been involved with somebody who'd been in two DUIs within two weeks. Mm -hmm. um, Which is pretty good proof, I feel yes. like, for sure. Yes. I've been suicidal for mm -hmm. most of my life, especially during this time. Just never, never even wanting a way out, um, let alone the hope of one. Yeah. I believe at this point, not knowing anything about Casey's Law, that I can go to both appointments and plead my case, which pretty much all they're doing is clearing you, you're healthy enough to go to, to treatment. Yeah. Then my action was to have a letter from the methadone clinic that I'd been going there regularly and being seen by a doctor and a counselor and that if I showed up to court, I could pass a drug test mm -hmm. for and, and not come up with anything but methadone. But I get to court and they don't drug test it. They don't drug test me. They don't ask me how I feel about anything. They're just like, okay, you're going to treatment for six months. Mm -hmm. I think originally my lawyer said 60 days and I was like, Ugh, sure. And then he came back and was like, oh no, um, it's six months. So, um, bait and switch. Ya. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, I'm so mad about it. I 
meet with the judge and they're just laughing and carrying on and like telling me this is where I'm going. This is what I'm doing. Uh, and once that meeting was over, I ran out of the courtroom. I ran back to the car that I'd had for two days and had temporary tags on it, told the person I was with to meet me at my house. I threw my car keys as well as everything I could to could into a suitcase. And like I said, the car keys did go into. Um, I vividly remember my family pulling up like SWAT behind me in mm -hmm. my vehicle. And this is at your house? While, yes, yes. Okay. While looking for the car keys, my stepdad walks around and grabs the car keys and it's like, you're not going anywhere. But I'm, I was obviously desperate at this point. Like I was going to take a car that didn't have anything but temporary tags and had no title and was just go was going to be gone. Yeah. Um, All because you didn't want to go to treatment. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I felt like my, I was in control of my life mm -hmm. and who are you to tell me what I'm going to do? I'm, 29 years old at this point yeah uh i'm considered an adult you're not going to tell me what i'm going to do mm -hmm. so they took my car keys uh we took off walking took my dog and uh walked to a trap house that was full of bed bugs cockroaches syringes dirty dirty needles fleas they had no appliances because they'd have sold them all for drugs. So, yeah. That is insane. But it's crazy to me looking back over this process and how I everything worked out the way it needed to. I mean, this is this is where I brought myself to in my life. Like this mm -hmm. was not God's plan for me. Yeah. Um, and even recognizing that then. Mm -hmm. So we get picked up and t taken to jail. I spent, um, I got into the Lincoln County Detention Center and, on a Thursday and then met with the judge on Monday, which I'd never had anything but a speeding ticket. So that's a, was a whole nother world for me. I was got in there and was like, how do I get bonded out? I need to call yeah, my grandpa not, yeah. and all this stuff. And they were like, uh, you need, you've been Casey Law. There's no bond. You need to sit down and buckle in, buddy. And mm -hmm. you just, you just chill out. <laughs> so I did just that. I was detoxing at that point. I was miserable to be laying on a cold floor with a mat that's probably half an inch thick. I can remember getting into jail, getting booked in. They give you a five-minute phone card um, to call whomever. So I get in there with my phone card mm -hmm. and trade it for a T-shirt because I'm like, I don't need to call them. I don't need them. Mm -hmm. And This is me. I'm, I'm, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm the gonna center. Sit yeah. here. I'm going to sit here and, and do this. I'm and an such. independent woman. I don't need anyone. Yes. <laughs> couple days passed, somebody came in that, she came in, she had her phone card, she slept it off, and then was leaving that next day, and I was like, can I have your 
phone card <laughs> so I could call my family. Because um, I really don't want to stay in here. No, no. <laughs> my pride had, had been gone out out the door long before that. I uh, I met with, I was going to meet with the judge on Monday and in in the court system at Lincoln County, they the courtroom is different, a different building from the jail. So they hook all of general population. You're shackled from your ankles to your wrists all together and walk across the street in orange and white jumpsuits. So I get down there and I'm chained to this person that I've been on this addictive journey with and just can remember him like doing the I love you symbol and I'm just like ugh like mm. this this is not it's obviously not all your fault but you you uh, have not helped the yeah, situation you have not helped. so we get all chained together and then they're like oh grubs you're being seen next or tomorrow or something and I'm like what so I get sent back up to my cell and then I I call my grandpa who's who I I need to tell me these things cuz I know he's talked to the lawyers and and the judge and they they did see me that day they were waiting for that particular individual to be seen first because that he had, the judge put a EPO between the two of us for for 2 years which <clears throat> that was by the grace of God too, because had I not run, mm-hmm. he would have still been trying to contact me. There'd been no legal. Yeah, you can't talk to this person. Yeah. So um, is it like kind of like a restraining order? Like mm-hmm. you can't come within a certain amount. Okay. Yeah. Neither of us can have any contact with the other. Okay. For two years. Which yes, by the grace of God, for sure. I'd have been fine if it was a lifetime, <laughs> but we'll go with two years for now. He also during this time of running from the cops before the jail period was trying to get me to marry him, which I see now as he knew I had a settlement coming. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. Just, uh, just another way to get what he needed. Yeah. Uh, and by the grace of God, I had a warrant on me, so could not go <laughs> to city hall and marry this person. Cause in the mindset that I was in, Probably would have. Mm-hmm. So. Oh, well, thank the Lord you did. Yeah, absolutely. For sure. So I meet with the judge. She explains the EPO. Um, she asks me, are you ready to go to treatment? Because obviously you weren't the beginning of this week. Mm-hmm. But when I went and met with the judge, the only people in the courtroom were my family the judge, the county attorney, and I walk in, having been in jail for several days, in my orange and white jumpsuit, shackled. Which Hannah told me at the beginning of the week was very humbling. <laughs> yeah. I can, I'll can. i never forget that moment. Humbling and horrifying all at the same time. Yeah, for sure. All the people that I loved most, that loved me most, in the same room, in a courtroom, about to send me to treatment. Mm-hmm. So the judge, she asked me, she was like, you know, you can you can go to treatment for six months or you can do a county year in jail. It's complete, completely up to you. Mm-hmm. And still not knowing whether I was at the end of my rope 
sounded a lot better than the the treatment center sounded a lot better than the jail that I mm-hmm. had been in yeah. been and abiding you, the last couple of days for sure and you said that you literally had never really other than running from the cops the week before that you never had had any charges against you you'd never been arrested really anything at all other no. than a speeding ticket so right. you probably were like okay yeah let's not go to jail yeah and just hang out so because I'd ran the first time from court I got to be escorted to a treatment center in Barberville a six-month program, I was escorted in shackles um, by a police officer and get to Barberville not knowing anything around me. And that's actually what my my family wanted was that I didn't know what was around me or Mm -hmm. um, they didn't even tell me where I was going, fearful that I would have that particular person um, meet me there to yeah. pick me up and take me wherever. Hope City is in Barberville, Kentucky. It is a pastor and his wife um, that are 26 years in recovery. Uh, the women's wow. center is actually in the basement of a church, and they live, you can throw a rock at their house from there. But I get there, and I'm already mad. I'm already in shackles. I'm I'm walking into a room with a bunch of women that I don't know shackled and mad and one of the first conversations I have was with this smiley guy that happened to be the pastor and just asking me how excited I was and <laughs> that was probably the last thing you wanted yes, to see at that point yes you never see that man without a smile though like mm-hmm. he's just he's a peach um <laughs> but so at that time I didn't think so <laughs> <laughs> so I get in there and he's like are you on any medication and I said, yeah, I'm on, I was on four different medications as far as antidepressants at that time. And he said, and, and the doctor's telling me my whole life, you know, you've got PTSD, anxiety, depression, uh, bipolar, personality disorder. And he was like, with a smile, you can see all his teeth saying, oh, we're going to take you off those, buddy. And so to me, that's like, wait, 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 what? It's like yeah. the carpet's getting ripped out from under Yes, you. that's exact. I mean, it just, the vision I had, like, so long of my life, I've been classified as these things and lifelong illnesses. And mm-hmm. now I'm at a place that I don't want to be at with a bunch of smiley people shackled. And you're telling me that I'm going to come off all these medications also wasn't allowed to smoke. I'd been told in in jail that I I was going to be able to smoke in a rehab. Nope, that, that that's not. So that just they added. Lied. <laughs> yeah, that just adds to that. So I get there and though I've spent less than a week in jail detoxing, um I I'm at Hope City and they give me a heating pad and um, ibuprofen and I feel like I'm in heaven compared to, to <laughs> compared to where I was but I was still like on the toilet with a trash can in front of me for several weeks until I was past the physical detox from the substances but after that came the really fun part where they tapered me from the medications the mental medications that I had been on and uh, had I not been on them for over 14 years they probably would have just cut me 
off cold turkey mm-hmm. from these things. Um, but so I'm about 90 days into the 180 days. So halfway and completely off the medic or the, the mental medications that I was on. It was the most excruciating thing that I've ever had to go through. I would take the physical detox from the substance use every single day over the mental battles that I faced mm-hmm. every single day. I, I had to I had to learn tools to to deal with these things. I had to be able to have people to go to and say, you know, you're having this consuming thought. Uh, you need, this is when you need to go and hit your knees and pray and mm-hmm. ask God to show you that his presence is real and it's there and that it loves you and has always loved you. Um, no matter how broken, no matter how, uh, beat down you feel, no work, no matter how worthless you feel that God sent his son to die for you and loved mm-hmm. you when you were spitting on him and whipping him. And I would have told you I was a Christian before, but I had this obscure version of Christianity in my head that do what I say, not, not as I do. Um, this judgmental, which I feel like is religion to a T that I, that I, I didn't have to go to church every time the doors open to be a Christian that, um, but I just, I had no idea what I was, what the presence of God is and still still have just like this very little inkling of uh understanding of what of this immeasurable God that loves me in this endlessly is so I'm tapering I'm I'm off all these medications and feeling very very suicidal that I'm out of control of my life now I've been brought to a place that I thought was a punishment versus Mm -hmm. a time a season of healing rather that's good um and can remember because we would it was it was just a six-month crash course in in the bible and and recognizing what a, a disciple not even a christian but a disciple of christ looks like and yeah um the people around me loving us if as if we were their own and that um the joy that came from their life every single second that you were around them like i said before i can't I don't have an image of my pastor that isn't just like this big cheesy smile where you can see all his teeth (laughs) and um, just the beautiful life that he has and how everything that they have ever done is transparent in their life. Um, When you meet him on the street, when you, when he's in the pulpit and he's talking about, what his life looked like before. I mean, everything is an open book with them. How they just loved us. Uh, they were, uh, they would take us kayaking. He went and bought like 40 kayaks and would take us kayaking, like 40 oh, so people fun. kayaking and just having a good time and and having, having sober fun, mm-hmm. centered 
in Christ and yeah. just immense love and just like investing in you, mm-hmm. you know, yes. even like the little things like kayaking, you don't realize really can change a heart. Absolutely. I, I didn't know what love looked like. I didn't know. I, like I told you, I, I would have told you I knew I, I believed in God. But the intimacy of knowing the God of creation mm-hmm. the is, relationship is a almost. very, that, that word know is very intimate. Mm-hmm. You, you can, you can meet someone on the street one time and they ask you, do you know Billy Joe? And I said, I could not say that I know that person because I have, I've met them um, I know of them, but I don't know what makes them tick and what makes them sad and what makes them laugh. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's that true intimacy of feeling and spending time with Christ. Um, mm-hmm. I, I'm coming off all my medication. I'm so miserable. Uh, I can remember being in prayer room because, like I said, it's a completely biblical we had Bible study. We spent at least two hours a day in the sanctuary alone in meditation and prayer. I can remember being taken off all the medication and just sobbing and saying, Lord, I, I know you're there, but I'm I'm hurting so bad. I'm so miserable and broken that if you don't have a purpose for me, I just wish that you would take me out of this world. Wow. How dark I felt, how um, hopeless it was to know that there's all these people that have been taken off this medication, taken off these substances and taken to a place that they didn't really want to be at the time and delivered from all these things, walking around joyful. And I can remember thinking, you know, this is either completely fake or it's absolutely real. Yeah. And how once I allowed myself to believe and press through that dark season mm-hmm. and trust that there was a God that loved me immensely and madly and fiercely, mm-hmm. that he would deliver me from these things. And he did just that. And how thankful I am that for so long I was mad about 180 days in treatment and but now I am grateful that it was a six-month program because I didn't see the Lord move until about five months in but uh, it's on his time and how when it's not his will you can't force it but when it is his will you can't stop it yeah there wasn't no one moving him once he moved. I used to wake up before my journey through treatment mad that I was given another day and wanted to sleep it away and never face face the world, face myself, face anybody else. And how now uh, I try to wake and when I'm... I, one of the first things I want to do is thank you, Lord. Thank you for this bed that I'm getting out of. Thank you for the floor that I put my feet on. 
Thank you for the transformation that you've made in me from the inside out. Mm-hmm. I am just grateful. It's it's even weird to me to say, but I'm I'm grateful that uh, for the heartache and for the hopelessness and the misery because it's really hard to appreciate how joyful and hopeful things are now if you never walked in hopelessness. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That I know that the God of heaven and earth was walking with me through it in the past, that he'll be there if he, he gives me a future, but that he lives right here with me in the present, that he lives inside of me and through mm-hmm. me, yeah. and that he's made a way for me to have a purpose in the pain, um, that he's made a way for me to be uh, a peer support specialist speaking into the lives of women who are in active addiction, working with the Isaiah house or working at the Isaiah house and telling them about the goodness of God and that he's real and he's alive, that he loves you when you don't, when you didn't love yourself. Yeah, that's so good. One of the things that uh, I love about my life now is, is recognizing how deceitful I was prior to this journey and that all I can do now is be honest and transparent about who I've been because Mm -hmm. if you can learn one thing from something that I've walked in hardship then then Christ Christ has been glorified that I recognize and I talk to women now that are in treatment how you know, if, if this world could feel the void that I was trying to feel in my life, in my heart, whether it be um, sex or drugs or money, attention, mm-hmm. that there's not anything this world can feel like the love of Christ and how, I, like I said, he, he transforms you from the inside out through this journey I learned how to love myself because I know a God that died for me that has made me worthy because he is worthy and mm-hmm. how to talk like a a, a disciple of Christ um, that mm-hmm. what you say, what comes out of your mouth is a reflection of what's in your heart that um, to dress modestly, which I didn't care what you saw, who saw it prior (laughs) to this process, but had to, had to learn that through, through the ladies at Hope City that we dress, we're, we're, we're going to be modest ladies of Christ. We're going to be, we're in the basement of a church. So you're going to dress modestly. Yeah. And how how much my life has changed even even my my heart, my mindset, but the way that I carry myself. I was constantly looking for um, attention, a man to fill a void in me. It just 
uh, was going to do anything to get someone's attention, to make them love me. I had different colors in my hair. I had have tattoos. I got multiple piercings. And now I recognize that that was a way of trying to get attention, of trying to help someone see me that wouldn't mm-hmm. otherwise. Yeah, I think it's all about intention kind of like you had said when we met the other day that you you looked at all this stuff and you were like okay I realize now that it wasn't just you know expressing myself having fun it was literally I'm trying to get everyone to look at me because Mm -hmm. I I don't love myself and I don't feel like I'm worthy otherwise absolutely through the process of the the healing process of the six-month journey and treatment I had to really look at myself and instead of pointing the finger at everybody around me, I had to realize that I was the common denominator, that I was what led me to this place. I was able to find conclusion with the relationship that I'd lost traumatically with the alcoholic that I believed was the love of my life. But even now, would tell you that up until this point I actually never had been in love because I knew what love looked like I knew I knew the love that God has for me and what he wants wants for me Mm -hmm. and um initially just someone that pushes me closer to him Mm -hmm. and uh I've I've been blessed I'm in a relationship now with a a beautiful man that um has uh walked in darkness himself um he'll be celebrating three years uh clean in October but uh, and we never knew each other prior but we're able to relate in the madness what what the madness looked like because it's Mm -hmm. hard to I couldn't imagine being in a relationship with somebody that wasn't because it's hard to explain something that, unless you've been there, mm-hmm. has no explanation. It's almost like you can't put words to it. Absolutely. Unless you've been through it yourself, yeah. We pray together. We try to be, to walk in purity and holiness because we recognize the selfishness and the self-will that we walked in prior to God saving us and that we owe him if we give we give him our life but even that does not measure up to all that he does for us he would he sent his son to die for us and if that's all he did it would have been enough but he loves us madly enough to bless us continuously and loves to do so and for sure just how beautiful life is on the other side of of the madness and uh that I am so grateful for this relationship and pray that it is uh God's will for us to be together but if it ended tomorrow being thankful for the time that I had mm-hmm. for um the ability to know that there is there is people out there that that are willing to love you the way that Christ intended us to yes. love each other 
and have grown with this person just we just push each other to be better and we balance balance each other out we we complement the things about the other that the other doesn't do Mm -hmm. best yeah he is great at thinking where I'm more of a feeler and so just the ability to see a different perspective complement each other in ways that that wouldn't have been before yeah definitely and I think it's it's interesting that when you find a healthy relationship like what you found now it's almost like he makes your life better but you don't need him right because with without him you would still have the word you would still have that void that we all have filled because he's he created us to only be fulfilled fully by him so it's it's cool when you change your mindset and it's almost like I have to find the husband I have to find the husband I have to have the other half when you change that mindset and you turn it towards the Lord instead it's almost like everything starts to make sense and fall into place Absolutely. Um, and that's not just pertaining to a boyfriend or a, a relationship. That's uh, my family. That's my mm-hmm. friends, my job. Like my joy isn't found in those things. Those yes. things yes. are a bonus to what Christ is in me. Mm-hmm. It's beautiful because there's no void anymore. There's there's a heart that's that's overflowing my my cup my cup overfloweth <laughs> my cup overfloweth and i think this really i really feel led right now to say that this is not just hannah this is not just me this is a truth that the lord loves all of us all we have to do is accept him and just let him into our hearts and let him change and heal the hurt it's almost like with i think in the world today it's almost as if with self-worth We tell ourselves we're not worthy. We tell ourselves that we fall short 24-7 and we can't. We can't find anything that makes us happy. And it's almost like in Genesis whenever Eve and Adam find out they're naked and God looks at them and says, who told you that? And it's the same thing with being worthless, with not measuring up and that no one cares and no one loves you. Who told you that? Who told you? We have to recognize that that is a work of the enemy and that is not what God intended. And that's not what God thinks about you. He loves you. He loves you so much and he wants you happy and healed. And to be able to look back on hurts and just give all the glory to him. But I wanted to actually ask Hannah a couple questions before we ended our podcast Because a lot of people listening to this probably are struggling with addiction themselves or with someone in their lives or just with self-worth in general. And what would you tell someone that's struggling with addiction or has someone in their lives that's struggling with addiction? What would be advice? How do you handle that? Well, you know, I, I, like I said, I've been led to be able to speak into individuals' lives all the time because of my ability to relate to what they're going through. Mm -hmm. I think that it's just this, this madness that you, we, I certainly made my home that this was never going to be any better. This could never get any better, that there was no hope at this point that 
Um, I already felt worthless that I had all these mental illnesses and then on top of it added substances because I didn't want to feel these things that I was already feeling. Mm -hmm. With being a peer support specialist, Mm -hmm. uh, we go into this idea that not everybody's recovery looks the same. Mm, That's good. Just because my recovery is Christ-centered does not mean that yours is going to be. I would not have recovered if it wasn't for the Lord. I had come to this point, even though I had people that loved me in my life, I I just, I never loved me enough. I mm-hmm. could not grasp why somebody would love me. What about me was able, was someone able to love? Mm-hmm. Because that's how I felt inside with, with my recovery process, just knowing that, that somebody Somebody died for you. Somebody knew that you were going to walk the path that you walked and uh, you give it, you give your life to him and he will make everything for the good. Yeah. Um, he'll bring beauty from ashes. Just recognize tendencies of addiction. Like we talked about before, isolating yourself from the people that love you that, are telling you what you don't want to hear. One thing that helped me, especially dealing with mental illness and everything, and you can add this concept to whatever, but the the thing that you want to do the least is probably the thing that you need to do first. So Mm -hmm. um, with depression, I never wanted to get out of bed. I wanted to make sure I didn't know if it was daylight or dark in my house and sleep all day. So I didn't want to get out of bed. So that's usually the first thing that I need to do. Yeah. I don't want to put on makeup today. So I probably need to do, I mean, <laughs> I don't, I don't want to pray. So that's the first thing that I need to do. Yeah. That's um, good. Like recognizing, recognizing the harmful tendencies that led to this pattern mm-hmm. to, call out to God because he will save you. He will mm-hmm. uh, meet you where you are. He is the God of the mountains and the valleys and he'll meet you right where you are. For sure. And you'd probably say that the people you hang out with are crucial too, right? Oh, absolutely. Just like um, from your story, you know. Like-mindedness. Who you allow yourself to be around it's going to eventually change your mindset. So before um, I was telling Macy at the beginning of the week that um, before my treatment journey, that if I was to be on the side of the road with a flat tire and not have a dollar to my name, no one in my phone would answer and would would probably not answer, but let alone come if I had nothing to offer them Mm -hmm. through my journey and where the Lord has brought me to now, I could be in that same position and have everyone in my phone show up probably at the exact same time with having nothing to offer them, mm-hmm. but to know that I would do the exact same thing. Just having people to speak into my life to that, that the Lord flows through them and mm-hmm. that has has changed their lives and just 
mm-hmm. how beautiful it is now and yeah. drastically different. For sure. For sure. So what would you tell younger Hannah? You know, that's that's difficult to me because I don't know that had I not walked this path that I would have been that the Lord not to put him in a box, but yeah, I'm just yeah. so I'm so grateful for even the worst of my life because I have been delivered and redeemed from so many things that I never thought there was hope for. Yeah. I would tell you that you're beautiful and that um somebody is going to love you one day the way Christ intended them to that um your family will move mountains for you and uh, that you are loved more than you will ever know mm-hmm. that's you're like I'm we're both like crying <laughs> but um lastly what was the biblical truth that helped you the most most, whether that be a verse or whether that be a section or just what what in the Bible spoke to you and was like, holy cow, this is real. This is real. I'm loved. I don't know why I ever felt like that, but he's filled the void now. Um, I know that the verse that I cling to the most through through anxiety and through especially coming off all the medications when I was in such a dark season was James 4 7 it's uh, submit to God resist the devil and he will flee Mm. over and over and over again and not just seeing that as words on a page but believing in my bones for it to be true Mm -hmm. and that he was gonna move and and you say these words and yes he has the power to remove and deliver right then but Mm -hmm. that doesn't mean that he's going to but just because he doesn't in that moment doesn't mean that he's not working because he's always working Mm -hmm. um he knew you were going to be in this season years before you did before you stepped a foot towards the path of destruction Mm -hmm. um which is why he's so cool I know I said it was the last one, but I really feel this on my heart. So what would you say to all of the people that stuck with you? Thank you. Yeah. God bless you. I am so overwhelmed with encouragement and love, just abundant love that loved me when I didn't love me that um, knew that there was a light inside of me that they were searching for, that uh, it was going to be found, and that um, how hard it was for my mom to act and um, file this law. But she tells me, she said, Hannah, I prayed. I hit my knees and I said, Lord, not my will, but yours be done trusting that he was faithful and true and he is just that Mm -hmm. and actually Hannah's mom was the one that brought her here I mean he completely redeemed 
their relationship. I mean, she said that she talks to her mom like five times a day now. So I want to encourage anyone who is struggling with relationships with your family even. God can redeem anything. He's not limited. We as humans tend to put him in a box. But we have to realize that he, he is God of heaven and earth. He is capable of moving mountains. If and I he mean, can't do it, he, it cannot be done. Yes. Yes. And we see that through Hannah's story. I mean, we're sitting here crying and it's just, it's so powerful. It's, it's impacted my life. I've never struggled with addiction, anything along those lines, but she's blessed me so much with just all the points and the way that God's been faithful throughout the journey. But Hannah, I really appreciate you coming on and sharing that story. I'm sure it's going to bless so many people, but Thank you all for listening today, and I just want to encourage everyone, don't lose hope. He will come through. He is an amazing God who is always faithful. He's a, a light in the darkness. Um, he's healer in your pain. He's the shepherd and friend at midnight, Jehovah Jireh. He is cons- a consuming fire, and not only do we love you, but he loves you madly and fiercely yeah thank you guys thank you for listening to this episode of forward with faith podcast hannah was a dream to work with she's amazing and such a great example of how god still redeems and can pull us out of any situation and make all things new my name is macy kaiser i am the host of forward with faith podcast and the founder of macy k ministries If you want to get involved or learn more, feel free to visit my website at MacyKaiser.com or follow me on Instagram, Twitter, or join my Facebook group at Macy K Ministries. Thank you guys so much for all the support and making everything possible up until now. I love you guys and so does the Lord.